Welcome to Trinity at Home. We're so glad you've joined us today. And Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoyed a joy-filled celebration with friends, family, celebrating our Savior. Today's gathering is a special one. We're in our homes. And hopefully you have that box handy that includes items that you'll want to refer to, particularly if you have kids that you're watching with. Kids, there's a bag in it with a cards that look like this, activity pages that you can color, puzzles to complete during the gathering, and then activities that you can do as a family throughout the week. Now this morning is gonna look a little bit like this. We'll have time of worship together. Pastor Jack will do a storying, telling us the Bible story from John chapter five. And then Pastor Marvin will speak to us about ways we can apply that story to our lives. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship this morning. I know it's a little different when we're in our homes and it can look like a lot of things. Maybe you have a dance party while you're worshiping. Maybe you're sitting quietly and just contemplating the words that you're hearing. Or maybe you're singing along together. All of that can come from a heart of worship and we encourage you to engage in whatever is most comfortable. Let's worship together. Above all 
Let's go back thousands of years to Bible times as we hear a story of an encounter with Jesus from the perspective of someone who may have been watching. Man, the first thing that I can tell you is that it was hot that day. And walking by the sheep gate, it didn't smell that great either, if you know what I mean. It was the Sabbath, and I was just trying to get to my cousin's house on the other side of town. But the quickest and the shortest way to get there is usually by the House of Mercy. Oh, oh wait, I'm sorry. If you don't speak Aramaic, you probably don't know that that place is called Bethesda. But that's what Bethesda means. It means the House of Mercy. And you couldn't miss it for two reasons. First, it's big. Like, hospital big. It has these five covered colonnades surrounding a pool in the center. 
and second, because the pool itself is always surrounded by people who are sick. I mean, there are people surrounding the pool who are blind, who are lame, who have diseases that you wouldn't want to catch, even those who have been lame or paralyzed, who managed to have friends or family carry them or who've dragged themselves there. But whether you've been sick a long time or a short time, everyone just tries to get to Bethesda. Why, you may ask? Well, there's a legend or a myth or a it's a miracle or something. I don't actually know. But the idea is that this angel periodically comes to the pool. And when he does, he supposedly stirs up the water. And then whoever gets in is immediately healed of whatever their illness might have been. I've never seen it happen, mind you. But when I was a kid, my friends and I would go sometimes and we'd sit around the edges of the pool just to wait and watch and see if the angel ever showed up. And I I do actually know this one guy who was sick with some kind of degenerative illness who claims to have gotten into the pool when it was stirred up, and he's definitely not sick anymore. So, you know, I guess maybe it works. But, But anyway, on that day, as I said, it was hot, and I was just trying to get to my cousin's house, and the fastest way was by the pool. So I made my usual cut across the outside of the colonnade when I saw something that caught my eye. See, I... I saw this guy that I recognized who'd been lying near the pool for a long time. And that part actually wasn't new. I mean, I knew that guy, actually. Our fathers had been in the same trade together for years, so when he was little and I was little, I actually thought we were going to learn together. But one day he just stopped coming, and his parents stopped talking about how he was going to take over the family business, and they started talking about just how to help get him better. He never got better, so now he just hung out at the pool like so many others. But as I said, that part wasn't new. But what was new was that I saw this other guy standing next to him, talking to him. I didn't recognize the other guy at first, but he seemed to be someone of importance because he had this entourage of like 12 other guys and this group of women. So I leaned over to someone else who was watching and I was like, hey, what's going on? And that person was a bit perturbed that I was actually interrupting them because they were trying to pay attention too. But they said that the guy standing there was this new rabbi named Jesus, who was the son of Joseph from the town of Nazareth. Oh man, I was immediately interested. I'd, I'd heard about this guy. Rumor had it that he had turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana. And my uncle's friend had actually been there to see it. I'd also heard that he wasn't afraid to talk to Samaritans and that he didn't back down from the Pharisees either, which was crazy considering that they were the smartest people that any of us knew. So I have to tell you at that point that I was no longer interested in getting to my cousin's house so quickly. I wanted to watch and see what would happen next. Well, Jesus said something crazy. (laughs) He's just crazy. He actually looked at the guy and said, do you want to get well? (laughs) I got to tell you, I I laughed out loud. So did a few of the other people. I mean, seriously, right? Do you want to get well? I mean, seriously, right? Like, I almost wrote Jesus off as a crazy man at that point and went on my way. But then I heard the paralyzed guy answer him. He explained that he wanted to get well, but that every time the waters in the pool were stirred and he tried to get in, someone else would get in ahead of him. The bulk of his life had just been one frustrating attempt after another to get into the water, but everyone around him was more able to do so than he was. And so here he sat, just waiting. Well, then Jesus looked at the guy, and I will never forget what he said. Just as if he wasn't any big deal at all, he said very matter-of-factly to the guy, he should just said like, hey, you should get up, pick up your mat and walk. <laughs> I almost laughed out loud again. I mean, just get up, just like that. Either Jesus was a cruel comedian or, well, I mean, 
I mean, I mean, he couldn't be serious, right? I mean, if it were that easy, you'd think that the guy would have just picked up his mat and walked away. What would he even be doing at the pool in the first place, right? But then the craziest thing happened. I mean, I still can't believe it myself. Honestly, I wondered if the whole thing had been a bit of a, a bit of a dream, except that there were so many other people around standing there, and we've been talking about it for days now. Would you believe that the paralyzed guy actually took Jesus at his word, and then he started to move? I was kind of slow at first. I mean, he kind of sat up and his legs actually started to move. I mean, they'd been atrophied for years now from lack of use, but somehow he could bend his knees. And he like rubbed his ankles a bit. And then this kind of weird smile crept over his face. I mean, he looked around and saw everyone else was watching. And I have to admit, the whole place was so quiet. You could have heard the sheep moving through the sheep gate nearby with only the occasional bleat puncturing the silence. And then he just stood up. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, just like that. I mean, he kind of wobbled at first, but then he like legitimately stood. Then he kind of like stamped his feet like he was checking to make sure that he was on good footing. And then he burst into tears and just kind of fell into Jesus's arms, laughing and crying at the same time. I mean, like everyone, and I do mean everyone, like gasped, laughed, exclaimed, something. And then we all looked at each other as if to see we were all seeing the same thing. Man, everyone instantly mobbed the former paralyzed guy, trying to see for themselves up close what had happened, or trying to touch him or poke him, or making sure that he wasn't a ghost or something, and that he actually was real. And then guess what? In the middle of all the commotion, Jesus and his crew just sort of, they just vanished. I mean, after everyone had touched the paralyzed guy, we all started looking around for Jesus, but we couldn't find him. It's like he just disappeared somehow. And then someone in the crowd had evidently gone and grabbed a couple of the Pharisees nearby so that they could witness what had happened. But instead of the same level of wonder that the rest of us seemed to be experiencing, the Pharisees actually seemed kind of to be ticked off. Now, like, I wasn't close enough to hear all of it, but I picked up that they were telling the paralyzed man that because it was the Sabbath, he wasn't allowed to pick up his mat and carry it. And that kind of made all of us immediately check our own mental math as well. Like I, for example, was being very careful not to travel farther to my cousin's house on a Sabbath day journey would allow. My friend was actually doing the same thing. He had carefully counted out the 2000 cubits necessary to get to his daughter's house without breaking the Sabbath code. But the Pharisees were right, man. Carrying a mat on the Sabbath was, well, that was like, that was kind of a big deal. See, according to the prophet Jeremiah, a good Jew was not allowed to carry any burden on the Sabbath day or do any work. So, yeah. So for those of you who aren't Jews, again, this was kind of a big deal. But the paralyzed man just responded, I, kind of nervously, I might add, I would have been, that the man who made him well actually told him to pick up his mat and walk. So the Pharisees stepped closer to him and they asked him who that man was. I was kind of shocked to hear that the man didn't know who Jesus was. And I have to think that I wasn't the only one who thought about just piping up and raising my hand and telling them that it was Jesus. But honestly, I didn't want to be sucked into that possible vortex of trouble. So I decided that keeping my mouth shut was probably the better thing to do, if you know what I mean. But anyway, after that, we all just kind of quietly filed away, trying to avoid the Pharisees' gaze. I got to my cousin's house and I told him what had happened and he didn't believe me until later that next week when another friend who had been there verified my story with him. I gotta tell you guys, news about this event spread throughout the city. 
I mean, Jesus was like suddenly becoming a celebrity. And then I was kind of glad when during the next week, I dropped by the temple to offer a sacrifice when I saw the man who had been healed there too. And he was telling people what had happened. And you will never guess what happened next. Jesus showed up again. I'm serious. It was like he just sort of disappeared into thin air that day, but now is just standing here in the flesh. And check this out. You want to know what Jesus said to the guy that he had healed? He said, hey, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Man, like, that freaked me out a little bit. I'm not exactly sure what Jesus meant, but he seemed like the kind of guy who probably knew what he was talking about if he makes a statement like that, right? Now, as soon as Jesus patted the guy on the shoulder and walked away, the guy who'd been paralyzed went and found the Pharisees and pointed Jesus out to them. I saw two of them stride over to Jesus with this like definitive sense of purpose and they straight up demanded to know what he had been thinking, telling them, telling the paralyzed man to break the Sabbath code. Jesus just sort of like looked at them and then without any apology at all, he actually said something I'll never forget as long as I live. He looked them straight in the eyes and said, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. Boom. I'm telling you what, I don't know how Jesus could have said anything else that would have been more of a bombshell right then. Because what he was effectively saying was that God was his own father. And we all knew that's what he meant. And in our culture, that meant that he was making himself equal with God, which I mean, I probably don't need to tell you, is just something you don't do. Now, here's something that I can tell you on the DL, but you can't tell anyone else, okay? Now, I've got this friend who's part of the Pharisees' personal sort of secret police. Uh, they're responsible for reporting in on lawbreakers and informing the Pharisees about who to watch out for. And I heard him say that after that, the Pharisees started talking about how to get rid of Jesus and how to begin to make sure that he couldn't keep saying stuff like that. And here's the thing. You need to know the Pharisees are dangerous, dude. You do not mess with them. They have the ear of the Romans. They safeguard our culture. And if they kick you out of the community, you are dead. I mean, you can't eat. You can't exist in a community. You can't go to the temple to have your sins covered over. You can't get married and you cannot conduct business. If there is anything that you should know about the Pharisees is that it is all fun and games until they get involved. For my money, I kind of feel bad for Jesus. I mean, he seems like a nice guy and he healed someone after all, which is really cool. And honestly, I, I'd kind of like to hear more about him. Or if I could, I'd, I'd love to get a chance to hear what he has to say myself. But you just don't mess with the Pharisees. So I, I can't think that it's going to go well for him long term, you know? I don't know. I guess if he really is the son of God, then even the Pharisees won't be able to stop him, right? And I kind of hope that's the case because... You know, I kind of like the idea of a God who cares enough about someone who's been paralyzed for 38 years to stop and heal them. Yeah, even on the Sabbath. Secret place, your works are wonderful.
friends. He sees us, he knows us, he thinks of us, and he loves us. My favorite name of Jesus is Emmanuel, that God is with us. And that song describes that so, so beautifully. Just as Jesus healed the man who'd sat by the pool of Bethesda for years waiting for healing, Jesus is with us. He sees us. He knows us. He knows what we need. And I hope that you are experiencing him today. Now, Pastor Marvin is going to help us see how this story of this man who was healed, how it applies to our lives today. Well, what do we do with this passage? Well, here's one big thing that I think we can do. Proclaim grace louder and more often in more places and to more people than people who say that you and I must keep a bunch of rules to have a relationship with God. You see, the religious leaders had taken the Sabbath day, God's gift to humanity, and had transformed it into a prison house of regulations and restrictions. It was supposed to be a time of rest, feasting, enjoying family, and more than anything else, celebrating God's continued provision and protection. So healing the man on the Sabbath was Jesus proclaiming grace and freedom louder and more often in more places and to more people than the religious leaders who said that people needed to keep a bunch of rules and regulations to have a relationship with God. They literally had distorted God's original intention for the Sabbath. So how can we proclaim grace louder? Well, one practical but powerful way is to share our before and after stories. I mean, what our lives were like before we met Christ and what our lives are like now after our encounter with Christ. Friends, listen, come in a little bit closer. God wants to use our stories about how we met Jesus and how he told us to pick up our mats and walk. He wants to use us to share with others how he changed and is changing our lives so that others can see that that gift is available to them as well. So let's write or record our stories and post it on our social media platforms and or personally share it with someone we know may not, who may not have submitted their lives to Jesus. 
Let's ask God for the right moment to tell our story of grace to our families, to our friends during this holiday season. Let's let them know that it wasn't rules and regulations that transformed us, but it was God's grace through Jesus that set us free. I love what Chuck Swindoll says, people choose only bondage when they fear that freedom is unreachable or impossible or unaffordable and unreal. You see, listen, my friends, when people around us experience God's compelling grace and freedom in our lives and actually begin to believe that it can be theirs as well, religious rules and regulations and lists of do's and don'ts won't stand a chance. We are motivated to love God by grace, not rules. We always challenge lists of stale and toxic religious rules with stories of the fresh air of grace. So let's proclaim grace louder, more often, in more places, and to more people during this season and beyond by telling our before and after stories. Another and final way to proclaim grace and freedom louder and more often and in more places and to more people is for us to be ambassadors of compassion and mercy. There is hurt and brokenness all around us. We can become busy and distracted and we might miss it. So let's ask God for his eyes so that we can see the lonely, the hopeless, the grieving, the hurting all around us and offer them hope, compassion, and mercy like Jesus offered the man at the pool. Listen, mercy and compassion never take vacations. Every moment is always the right moment to show mercy and compassion on those who need it. And guess what? We don't need rules, regulations, or even the authority of the church to tell us when and how to act with compassion and mercy. The Spirit will lead us to bless people in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, on our jobs, in places where we work out with the hope and compassion and mercy that God once offered us. Our job is to simply respond to his leading. Listen, human need must always be helped. Now listen, I know when you heard that, I know that statement can feel overwhelming, but I like what Andy Stanley says, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Listen, there is no greater task than to relieve someone's pain and distress in Jesus' name. Each day, but especially during this season, we get to partner with God to bring his joy and peace to the world. So let me ask you a question. Who in your life needs to hear about this story and the truths of this message from you this week? Would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, thank you for this man's story of grace, freedom, and hope. Thank you for healing this man who had been lame for 38 years, where there was only hopelessness, you gave him hope, uh, where there was only condemnation, you showed him mercy, uh, where there was only bondage, you gave him freedom. You set him free, not through religious rules and regulations, but by the beauty and power 
of your grace. Not only do we thank you for his story, but we also thank you for our stories. We thank you that one day you told us to pick up our mats and walk, to walk in freedom, to walk in hope. It wasn't rules that awakened us to new and full life, uh, but it was your grace and our response today is gratitude. Now give us the power to be ambassadors of the mercy, grace, and freedom we received. Uh, give us courage to unashamedly share our stories with those in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and even our church family who think that freedom and hope are unreachable and impossible. Give us the courage and the power to go uh, to the Bethesdas of our world so that we can proclaim grace louder and more often and to more people than those who say we need to keep a bunch of religious rules to be right with you, our Heavenly Father. And all of this, Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. It was great to worship together. I want to highlight one more thing for you in your box, and that's the Better Together Jumpstart. This is an initiative we're going to be starting in January all together, encouraging each other to step out in disciple making and biblical hospitality, making relationships with those around us. Take a look at what's in your kit and you'll hear more from us soon. And again, have a wonderful holiday.